From the Rookery End is sponsored by Bet365 and their app features over 300,000 sporting events. It's got everything you need to bet on sports. Personalise your bet by using the Bet365 Bet Builder to combine a wealth of bets including match results, players to score and number of goals. And you can feel closer to the action through text and graphics in the Bet365 Match Live features. Become part of Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company, by downloading the app from your app store. Bet365, it's got everything you need to bet on sport. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is Mike. Hello John. Uh, Now I'm aware that uh, some people might not have listened to the last podcast, so for their benefit, I did just want to share with you a rather splendid anecdote no. I had about going to no. Reading's Elm Park. <laughs> no, it wasn't the highlights of any podcast we've ever had before. We'll we'll stay see, you know, stay clear of a new feature called Mike's Anecdotes. Not going to happen. Uh, but we're also joined, uh, of course, by Adam <laughs> Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for the Athletic. Hello, gents. Adam, you sound a little bit down. Are, are you okay? I'm, I have to admit, I'm not. I'm. I'm. Uh, I am struggling a bit. I was playing football on Monday night. Monday night football, five aside at goals, and last minute rolled my left ankle, rolled around like Neymar, but it was actually genuine pain. <laughs> and then when I put some weight on my ankle, my left ankle, it crunched, and all the all the people that are gathered around me did all sort of wince in my own sort of pain as well. So. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a very deep purple ankle at the moment, and uh, I've been for an X-ray, waiting for the results, and uh, yeah, I'm I am feeling it a little bit, and I've I've double dropped quite a lot of uh, painkillers. So this all sounds a bit uh, a bit suspicious, Adam. Are you sure you're not trying to engineer a move away from Watford <laughs> before the uh, before the transfer window shuts? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Monday Monday's my big day, so I've I've given myself a week away from <laughs> away away from the group, as we as we like to put it. But no, yeah, no, this is this is a genuine one. But to be honest, you know. When you do have a footballing injury, and look, this is minor amateur nonsense football, but it does give you a window into the world of footballers that do have severe injuries. And it, and it's just a little sort of elastic band moment. And you have every sympathy for them because these are footballers. Yes, some of them treat it like a job, but it, they don't want to be missing football. They don't want to be on treatment table. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a good little reminder to, to think... I hate not being able to play football once a week and I know that I'm not going to be able to play for probably two, three, four weeks. Hopefully it's not longer than that. But yeah, imagine being out for, for six months or, or things like that and seeing the, the footballing world go go around without you. It must be it must be really difficult. So yeah, having a bit of a laugh, but I think there's a serious element to it as well that I've got sympathy for footballers. Oh, well, we hope you get better soon. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, until, until you sign for L'Equipe on Monday. <laughs> this is going to be a midweek podcast, and we're going to do it as a Q&A. So we've got lots of questions. Thank you to everyone who has sent them in uh, via our social media, at Watford Podcast, on, on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, and uh, on Instagram. Um, the first question comes from James Glenn. He asks, who gets dropped for William Trustikong? 
and we'll get back to that one actually. But Adam, you know, you did a piece on on uh, William, Billy, Will. What, what, what do we call him anyway? He, he's a Will. man. Will I think Will. it is. Will. Okay. Yeah. You know, he, we know he's come from Udinese in Italy, but he's been to Turkey, Norway, Belgium, and Holland. But my favourite thing about the article was he's actually a local lad almost. Yeah, you know, I start the piece that is obviously out on The Athletic, basically saying that this one, you know, we see a lot of Udinese-Watford transition of, of players, and th- but this one really does make sense for, for, for more than one reason. Um, yes, he, he does own a house over in Hertfordshire. His fiance and his son um, haven't moved around the world on every move that he's made. So they've, you know, they've set up home in, in Hertfordshire. He went to school in Bishop Stortford. He was a boarder there. Um, so that's one sort of connection that he's got to, to Hertfordshire. And obviously he started his his footballing career in England. He had a trial with Fulham and then he had a trial, successful trial with Tottenham and he spent four years there. So he's got, you know, big connections to the area, really. And I think it's nice for him to have returned. I think his sort of his globe trotting journey since then has been driven by a desire to to come back and, and prove a few people wrong. I spoke to the the scout that first sort of took him to Tottenham, a guy called Carl Dixon. I also spoke to Chris Ramsey, who was one of the academy coaches at, at Tottenham. And I also spoke to, to Tim Sherwood. Obviously, you know, every Watford fan know who's, who, uh, who Tim Sherwood is. And it was actually sort of a decision that Tottenham had to make at the time. And Tim Sherwood didn't necessarily really fancy him. And I don't think the rapport between Truste Kong and, and Tim Sherwood was particularly good. But you'll read in the article, there's, there's actually a, a great quote from Tim Sherwood. Some people may have already seen it on um, social media. I won't repeat it because I understand that this is a family podcast. Um, but, you know, he basically said, look, yeah, fair play. The whole point of what we were doing at Tottenham was to prepare players for a career, not necessarily at Tottenham, but to be able to go and play football. And if he's sort of knuckled down and then come back and has sort of made it his life's work to to come back to the Premier League, then he's got a lot of respect for him. So it's been a long journey, but he's got himself back. And, you know, he's he's got very much sort of a, a London accent with a little bit of a Dutch twang. So hopefully he can um, come in and be a, a really important part of the dressing room because he's got leadership qualities. He's a, he's a very good player. He, he's good on the ball. He's got good physicality, which will suit the, the championship. Um, and there is a connection there as well, which I think is, is, a, is a perfect combination. It's not just sort of a, a random Italian or Spaniard that's been brought into the Pozzo system and then flung over to Hertfordshire and they're going, what the hell am I doing here? This one does feel feel right at the right time so yeah I'm, I'm feeling quite positive about it the more you read about it adam and it was a, an interesting article great to get those various viewpoints and it does chime to everything that we're hearing from udinese fans and i think that i don't want to upset udinese fans obviously but they were upset that he was coming to watford they were they were disappointed to lose him sort of surprised that he was he was stepping down a division i think he's been obviously been sold the idea of right you you're going to be an integral part of getting watford back up into the into the premier league and I think everything that in your article does make him sound like a really exciting signing, doesn't it? And that, that those early knockbacks, I, li- I like the fact that someone said that he's a he's a good talker on the pitch. We definitely need those in in this division, I think. And he's 
he's obviously striving for success, isn't he? And that's exactly the sort of player that, that Vladimir Ivic has been talking about wanting to be in and around this group, in and around this team. So, yeah, really, really exciting. And, and I can't wait to see him. Uh, uh, can't wait to see him in yellow. And interesting that, that, that one of the guys you've spoken to, to had mentioned that he'll be, he didn't as much say that he'd be disappointed if he wasn't the captain, but talking as him as a captain straight away, mm. which, is, which is really good. Get, getting that experience, that drive, that determination, that desire into the, into the team can only be a good thing. Who do you think he is going to, to come in for? Um, is it as is simple as saying, oh, Ben Wilmot, he's the youngest, he'll be the one that goes out? No. I, I, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think it's well, a very I difficult one. I, I think probably it will be, it will be probably Christian Cabaselli, I, I yeah. think, because I think during the games that we've seen so far, yes, and I'm sure we'll t- talk about it a little bit later on in terms of sort of defensive stability, Christian Cabaselli has been good for 85% of every game, let's say, mm. probably. Um, but it's those 15%... I mean, these are these are you know we we dig deep, we dig deep into analytics now and statistics, and I've just I've just sort of flopped out eighty five percent of the time. He's he's reliable. That that's just completely made up. But you get my drift. Maybe let's let's make it more simple. Ninety nine percent of the time he's good, but he has got a ricket in him, and that's the mm. problem. If they can have someone that has consistent performance and doesn't make a glaring error, doesn't give the ball away by sort of being half asleep, uh, doesn't let the ball bounce in the penalty box at the Emirates and allow Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to do an overhead kick and that could cost Watford their status in the Premier League, for example. Um, then <laughs> Not that you're bitter you know, or anything, Adam. <laughs> I'm not going to let that one lie. It just it, That one really, really, really annoyed me. Just that, that was basic stuff. That was stuff that I wouldn't even do on the five-a-side pitch myself. Don't let the ball bounce, Christian. Please, don't do it. And I'm sure you know he's an intelligent guy he seems like a very nice guy and I don't want to dig him out but just little things like that pop up and you go come on come on at least just make it make a make a challenge for the ball or or just have a, a sort of physical response to it but then the the, the light doesn't seem to be on no. all the time so my my gut feeling is that maybe longer term yeah it's going to be Christian Cabaselli that that falls by the wayside but I think everyone really in that back three isn't going to be feeling 100% secure and it will be down to what Vladimir Ivic thinks and who can, you know, maintain performance. This is a perfect a perfect example of a player coming in and everyone in that back three already going, "Well, okay, we've kept three clean sheets. I want to keep my I want to keep my place." So hopefully it will lift the the levels of those those three players, but they're not they won't have brought him here just to sit on the bench and he will not be wanting to sit on the bench. What's terrific about it is that he, if we, if Christian Cavaselli, for example, is on the bench, that is strength in depth in that position. Um, we we spoke about it after the Luton game. His, I think, he switched off, and and uh, it was a mistake that allowed Luton to to nearly open the scoring. And he did look a little bit sullen and uh, sort of out of it really for a couple of minutes after that. He did need a, a pat on the back from a couple of his his uh, his colleagues to sort of try and snap him out of it. So I do think Christian Cavaselli will be the one to to drop out. But I do think what a great a great backup to have at centre back. And this is what we've been hoping for: is building this squad instead of we've took there's been a lot of talk about what's going out the door but I think it's now we can we can be a little bit excited about what's what's coming in because I think with me it's having a solid defense is always what you want and by solid it means they can work together but it always feels a little bit nicer on a Saturday at two o'clock where you see the team you know it's the same 
back line. Now, at this point, it's three with some wing-backs in support. But we're playing so many games. And it isn't just like Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for a couple of weeks. This is, you know, come the end of October, this is going to be five, six weeks of that. So they're going to be needed, if not for the strongest team, uh, but they're going to be needed just for the, the number of minutes that they're, they're going to have to play. So it, that's the thing, that the depth of of squad, not just for substitutes, but I think for all the, the games we've got coming up are very, very important. But there, there was another signing, Adam. Do we think he will feature Gibriel Torre? It came up sort of from left field, really, didn't it? The, uh, the announcement of uh, Gibriel Torre. I think, obviously... The, the signing of William Troost Ekong will will take the headlines and he is the main one and Torre isn't going to be arriving uh, potentially until January. It might be that, you know, he's sent out on loan initially. You know, having written the piece about William Troost Ekong, I, I then sort of very quickly switched to going, right, OK, I need to find out as much as I can about this um, this kid. And, you know, I watched videos online and subsequent to that, I've uh, spoken to uh, his agent who football manager and um, championship manager previously aficionados will know uh, the name that is Cherno Samba um, and he's his agent Um, so I've spoken to him about Torre and how he came to um, be in charge of his fortunes essentially and you know he's been out on trial for various different you know big clubs and that was the mention in the in the in the release from from He's, you know, highly sought after and, and things like that. He's been on trial with Roma and Nice and Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Um, and it basically all stems back to the Africa Cup of Nations under 17 tournament in 2017 when he was only 14 years old and he was the leading scorer at the competition. He scored a hat-trick in the opening game of the tournament, which was being um, played in Gabon. And he scored a hat-trick against Gabon. So that sort of initially stuck a massive flag into, right, I'm Jabril Torre, I'm to be reckoned with. And then he went on to score another three goals. So ever since then, a lot of clubs have been looking at him. He then went on and played at the uh, the Under-17s World Cup that year as well, which England went on to win. Tournament players like Rianne Brewster, Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, um, you know, they were all part of that England side. Um, and I've, you know, I've sort of dug into the, the team that he plays for and it's more of an like an academy setup that he's got in in Guinea I've spoken to a, a journalist who knows all about um Guinea and and sort of following the path of the likes of Naby Keita who's obviously you know done hugely well and is now playing for for Liverpool and his verdict is that you know this kid has has got it all and has the potential to go um to Naby Keita's level and even further. So, you know, we've heard this all before and we've had lots of <laughs> signings, you know, peripheral signings that have happened before. Um, but there seems to be a lot of hope um, about uh, Gibril Torre. So it's an exciting one. And um, hopefully, you know, the piece that people read on The Athletic um, will just fill in a little bit more of the gaps in the story. So it's, yeah, it's it's sort of, this is classic athletic fodder, really, sort of digging deep into something that, um, hasn't necessarily all been laid bare yet. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually really enjoyed looking into him. So, um, yeah, hopefully people enjoy it. And hopefully he arrives in January. He might go out on loan probably because there is issues around work permits and things like that. But, um, yeah, he'll arrive and then is potentially going to be an exciting player. So we shall see. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. 
Ta-da! Look at my outfit, Nikki. Pretty good, eh? <laughs> what are you laughing at? As my wife, you need to be supportive. <laughs> you picked it. Yes, because last time you picked something for me, well, I got laughed at as well for different, whole different reasons. I'm not that cool. But this has got to be good, yeah? Not quite. All right, then. What do you suggest I do? Well, if you want to be a little bit more stylish than that, I suggest you go to a company called Stitch Fix that I've heard about. Oh, yeah. What's that? It's an online personal styling company. It makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop, and it's all about you. Oh, it make me look good. What, what do I have to do? Where do I have to sign up? Just go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic and set up your profile, and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. Okay. Give it to me. How much? How much this? You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time and no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Okay, so if I want to get started with Stitch Fix today, that website again, please? stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic. Are you sure this Dayglow orange t-shirt doesn't work? No. All right. Adam, lots of questions people coming in. I suppose I don't think anybody could answer at this point particularly. So we will ask your professional opinion on a few of these things. First one comes from uh, Keith Andrews' question. Thanks for your question, Keith. Uh, given that supporters are unlikely to be able to attend matches at the this Vic isn't this the season, Keith Andrews, is it? I, no, it wasn't. He didn't have the no? good hair okay. in the in the Twitter okay. picture. Big bit of Fine. a down, really. But we still thanks for the question, uh, Keith. Um, I prefer this Keith Andrews. Actually, he's far from a letdown. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's 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 put effort in, which we're not quite sure if Keith and the other Keith Andrews did that. Anyway, given that supporters are unlikely to be able to attend matches at the Vic this season. Worst case scenario, how financially secure do you think the club is? Now, we haven't seen their books, but again, Adam, with the wider world of, of football that you sort of see and your experience of it, my gut says, compared to all the other championship clubs, we've got some extra money that they don't have uh, because of we've still got some parachute payments. We are selling players, so it can't be dire, but it's got to be not the best. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good way of, of of putting it. But yes, we've got the the protection of parachute payments, but effectively they are there to protect clubs who have been paying Premier League money. So that sort of cancels itself out. Yes, we can make sales to help balance the books, um, and that is something that the club is doing, and they are you know reducing the wage bill um, at the same time. But that still is a you know a job very much in progress with a with a ticking clock against it, isn't it? We're working towards international transfers on Monday and then up until um, the seventeenth of October to to make sure that that wage bill is trimmed even more because you've still got quite a few expensive players that haven't been sold. Um, you still have an opportunity to make a sort of a really big, significant inroad into reducing any deficit by selling a big player like Ismail Assar but that seems to be drifting away as we speak so yeah I think they've got the the opportunity to cut their cloth and make some savings but that almost just sort of yeah that deals with the with the here and now I think what a lot of clubs across all divisions are having to sort of contemplate now is how are we going to budget for the future you know if we haven't got fans coming in if we haven't got the all-important thing for you know especially for clubs like Watford it, it's less about 
you know, bums on seats. It's more about the amount of money that you can make in the in the corporates as well. And that was, you know, a big thing that we we spoke about when they were talking about developing Vicarage Road or moving into a new stadium and things like that, that it was the corporate dollar that was really the most appealing thing. It's not necessarily the most appealing thing to, to the fans that are in the stadium in, in, the, in the normal seats, but that is a big driver. If you've got a small stadium and you can sell, you know, a, a big chunk of, of corporate hospitality, that is going to really make it a, a far more preparation. And they can't do either of those things at the moment. So I think it's very difficult. I think it's very difficult for the for the club to be having so many things to deal with at the moment, having dropped out of the Premier League, having to sell a lot of players, not having any fans, not being able to tick over and, and you know, effectively bring in the money that pays your normal staff rather than your players. So yeah, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. And I, I think that you know, we, we spoke about it before in terms of government bailouts and the Premier League money, all this sort of stuff. Something will need to happen. Otherwise, we will see five, 10, 15 clubs going to the wall because they just simply won't have enough money. You can't. It's, they're just businesses at the end of the day, aren't they? And we saw that that snapshot on social media of of Macclesfield going out of business. And on on Right Move, my, my colleague um, from Sky Sports, Alan Myers, um, who posted that you know they've put Moss Rose up for sale on um, on on Right Move for five hundred grand, and you think right, okay, a minute ago that's a club that has been there for a hundred years, and now it's it's just being sold off to to the highest bidder. So it's 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 scary times, and yes, Watford are in a decent position, but I don't think anyone's getting carried away with being safe at all. We're one from Death Ray Robinson, who I like him already. Um, it's about Adrian Mariapa. You know, Mike, we, 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 we were meant to go to a, a meal to celebrate him. Uh, but uh, Death Ray, uh, he asked, is there a specific reason, do we think, why Mariapa has just been forgotten about? Every other departure has received some sort of thank you or dedicated video. And we've got actually that, that topic we got asked from a few few people. What do you think, Mike? Is Is it bad? Well, I think just like uh, to, to finish off Adam's point, Watford are doing their very best under very, very difficult circumstances financially. I think the notion that Watford have somehow forgotten about one of their longest serving and most treasured performers is is silly, really. There's no way on earth that, that Watford have forgotten about Adrian Mariapa. They haven't gone from hosting a, a gala dinner for him a couple of months ago to just booting him out the back door with without so much as a, as a, as a farewell. It's just, it's absolutely inconceivable. And I think if, if we all sit down and think about the situation as, as supporters, we probably recognise that. So I think probably what's happened is, as we've as we've talked on these podcasts since since the season started, that the makeup of the, the of the team is is very fluid at the moment. We do not know who's going to be who's going to be staying, who's going to be going for the reasons Adam has just outlined. It's a it's a very very peculiar situation. So there is perhaps, and this is only my take, and I don't know anything about it. But I, there is perhaps an option that Adrian Mariapa might be signed as perhaps short-term cover, a six-month contract to get through to January for someone else to come in, or another year to, to sign as cover in case we do um, have a couple of, of unexpected departures or indeed unexpected injuries combined with a departure. You know, there's been some noise about Craig Dawson um, leaving, for example. Now, if he was to go, then Cabaselli was to get injured, for example. All of a sudden, we start to look a bit thin, don't we? Now, would Adrian Mariapa be a decent 
back up in that situation i'd argue potentially yes so i think it's just about as what as supporters we need to be patient we need to understand the situation this is the the thinnest of tightropes that the, the, the club are taught the walking at the moment. And it's not just our club. It's every single club to, to varying degrees. We are in a better position than, than most, as you both pointed out, but this is a tightrope we're walking here and they need to keep their powder dry in a number of, uh, of, of areas. And I think the, the Adrian Mariapa one is, is absolutely one of them. I, I think it's, inconceivable that he will be just left to sort of fester or sort of booted out the back door without without a thank you he he came through the the ranks as an academy graduate he's done incredibly well for Watford he got a huge link with the with the club he obviously um, has a huge affinity for for Watford and, and vice versa so they will undoubtedly, you know, look at the wonderful job they did with with Horelio Gomez look at the, the great job they did with with Jose Holobas Adrian Mariapa has has given more to, to, to the to the club than either of those and that's not a criticism of either of those players but just in terms of levels so there will of course when when the time is right to announce Adrian Mariapa's departure it will be I would imagine absolutely in keeping with the career he's had for Watford but that will come at a time that's right for for the club and, and the player and I think sometimes and I think this is this probably comes out comes from not being able to go to the games and and I understand this you feel detached Watching a game in an empty stadium on a stream or on TV is not the same as we've spoken about. Everyone knows that. You miss that huge part. You lose the connection with the club. And that's no one's fault. But So I think Watford supporters are, and, and football supporters are just craving that, that they need more communication or they feel like they need more information or they feel like they need more reassurance. Um, and I think that's where this comes from. Whereas if you actually sit down and take a breath, it's like, well, look, this is what they've done previously. This is Watford. We know the people at Watford. They've got they they love the club. They Watford supporters all over the place who 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 are desperate to uh, for to do only the best for the club and people that have served the, the club well. Mariapa's one of them. He will get the send off he deserves when it is the right time. I think we just need to be need to be patient. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Many of you would have followed him, and if you're not, then you should uh, at. Jordan Weimer uh, on Twitter, also known as Watford Analytics. He's one of those football fans uh, that really analyzes the detail. It certainly is a bit different from the way I watch football. So I got uh, in touch uh, with Jordan to find out what he thinks uh, about Watford and how we have developed over these first few games of the season. From start to finish, we looked far better than we had in our opening championship games. Off the ball, we looked solid, robust, and on the ball, we were able to control for large portions of the game and actually looked a full-on threat. I guess the question is, what changed? Well, something I discussed last week on Twitter was our struggle to get into the opposition half. After the Sheffield Wednesday game, we ranked 22nd in deep completions and progressive passes per 90, confirming that we just weren't able to get the ball forwards and make it stick effectively. So clearly we're having some issues offensively. But the thing that stuck out most from watching the Sheffield Wednesday game was just how deep Jeremy Ngakia was playing. Ken Saylor was able to get forward a little bit more on the left, but it mostly came from self-made runs with the ball. Every time we got the ball wide, our wing-backs would look for options and end up having to shift the ball back inside to the centre-back. Flash forward to the Luton game, it's a completely different story, especially in the case of Ngakia. Uh, against Sheffield Wednesday, he had 47 touches of the ball, and 19 of those were 
in Wednesday's half. That's only 40% compared to 80 touches against Luton with 60 of those in the opposition half at 75%. We also saw the other numbers I mentioned earlier improve too. After match week three, we now sit 10th for progressive passes and 14th for deep completions. So we're at least seeing things go in the right direction. As well as Ngakia played, it's not just down to an individual performance. Uh, a lot of the improvements we saw in this game came down to the coaching. I'll focus on the wingbacks and Ngakia again, as it's really what allowed us that freedom to move forward. As I mentioned, the biggest issue for our wingbacks has been them options inside. When on the ball, our midfielders were really, really looking for that option. And when they were, it was a lateral pass inside, which was just easily cut out by the opposition. The other option for our wingbacks was to play forward, but they weren't really getting the help they needed from their forwards either. Jao Pedro and Glenmore just didn't offer that stretch, and any ball forward ended up being a hopeful one. Against Luton, it was a lot better. It was clear from early on the midfield of being more proactive and looking to break those lines, stagger their positions and just get open when our wingbacks went on the ball. Ivic talked about needing to improve our tempo on the ball in, in midweek and I think that was pretty spot on. We're a team that likes to build up from the back so naturally our starting position is going to be a bit deep but we don't really play that many long passes. We're actually 17th on the table for long passes played which is fine but it requires a lot of passing combinations to come off in order to progress yourself up the pitch. If you're laboured in that, it just is too much time for the opposition to get back in shape and get organised. Against Luton, we got to see a combination of good coaching and some really good execution from the players. Uh, the intensity of our movement in midfield was a bit sharper. Nathaniel Chadwick probably had his best performance for us so far this season. And James Garner played a mature game. He looked comfortable on the, on the ball, looking up and playing early, uh, nice and simple, but very comfortable overall. It wasn't just in midfield, of course. The forwards did a much better job. Having Saar starting gives you that flexibility of movement and we used it well balls forwards from our wingbacks weren't just hopeful anymore and the Saar drifting into them wide areas just gave Ngakia and Semmer that space to push on there's still some work to be done on chance creation but we got ourselves to the final third really well so there's still some work to be done on chance creation but we just got to get ourselves into the final third as we did and look forward so other than that I think the next step is to look at how we can integrate those forwards and our midfield we saw some some more runs forward but in a slightly different way uh, for Tom Clare with his role he was the most advanced uh, midfielder for us but his primary job was a disruptive one effectively his role was to stop the Lincoln's build up at the start by smothering Paddy Ruddock in the midfield and forcing them to play them high risk passes it's a role we've seen him before uh, Bournemouth away under Marco Silva stands out I'm a little bit surprised it's not a role we've seen more from him, especially when we're playing a front two. Uh, we're less reliant on that creativity from the number 10, so it gives, it gives you that freedom to put a Harry and player in there and make it really difficult for that opposition number six, who we've seen are so heavily relied on in so many systems. If someone has stuck someone on Etienne Capoon in the last couple of years, how well would we have played? So that could be something we see more of going forward. But overall, it's just that connection between the defence, which we all seem to be pretty happy with as a unit. We've defended pretty well. I mean, obviously, the clean street record speaks for itself. And then just mixing that in with the attack and then seeing that, that performance over 90 minutes. Um, there's a lot of promising signs, and hopefully, as the season goes on and personnel gets a little bit more organised, we should see something more consistent in that end. It has, Adam, been... Nice progress, but we had quite a lot of progress, it felt, at least at that Luton game. Can you see it keep going for as, as, as well as it has been? I think that's the aim. I wouldn't be getting carried away with it, though. The initial games that we've seen, the first three league games, Middlesbrough, they had some chances. Sheffield Wednesday, there were a few sort of leaky moments as well where the ball was played in behind. Luton hit the bar. 
should have been one nil up and that doesn't necessarily you know come out in the in the statistics when you're looking at you know shots on target and things like that that would have gone down as a as a shot that's been off target so i wouldn't be getting carried away and i don't think vladimir vladimir ivich or the team will be getting totally carried away with the with the defensive performances in particular i think outside of that it was far more cohesive going forward. Um, you know, the patterns in midfield seem to be a lot more uh, developed. Um, I think the personnel has helped that. I think James Garner coming in and sort of looking reassured on the ball has certainly helped. Obviously, having Ishmael Assar in there has been great. Ken Semmer is is sort of developing into someone that you think, well, maybe we don't need a, another left back and just make sure that Adam Messina hurries up a little bit with his recovery. I'm sure they will bring in a left wing back, by the way, but, um, you know, he's doing a sterling job on the on the left-hand side. And obviously, William Trustekong at the back will hopefully help to, to shore things up um, even more. But I don't necessarily think we've come up against any of the clubs that we are going to be going up against in terms of promotion yet. And we still have had moments of defensive performances where it's felt a little bit more like last season where we've sort of got away with things a little bit. That's just my sort of own perception from, from being at the games. And yeah, sometimes you, you sort of, you make your own luck, but I I think it might have come down to the performances of, of the other teams in front of goal rather than the way that we have defended, um, you know, exceptionally well. So I, I feel like I'm sort of I've taken on the the mic role in this one, um, <laughs> and he's going to have to go. Well, no, we've been brilliant. It's been like Beckenbauer and everyone that's been at the back. It's been brilliant. But now, look, I. I I don't want to. I well, just, no, I just... we've been brilliant. It's been like <laughs> I, th- I think what Jordan does, what Jordan does allude to, though, Adam. In, in fairness, is that sort of steady, uh, steady improvement. And uh, and you are, you're, you're absolutely right. Despite the fact I saw a factor stat today, which was good. Watford have conceded five shots on target, which is the lowest in the championship. Which is obviously cause for um, not celebration, but cause for optimism. I do think each game has been has had a lot to take out of it. And I think Watford have been getting incrementally better in different areas of the pitch as, as the season's gone on. We've only played three games. It feels like an age already, doesn't it? We've had the, the, the sideshow's the wrong word, but we've had the sort of distractions of the of the Carabao Cup, which is now part for, for another year. It, it does feel like we've, a lot has happened, primarily for, for all the reasons we've discussed. So, But I do feel that there has been that incremental improvement um, week on week. And uh, what, what struck me from what you said there, Adam, is uh, you're right, it's... We we have had we have had wobbly bits, and but that will not have been lost on Vladimir Ivic, and I don't think he's one to to rest. Having seen mistakes, he will be looking to iron those out. You know, we've heard a, enough interviews from enough players saying how hard he is on the on the training ground, how detailed he is, and how he will run things again and again and again, and, and the discipline. So he will be looking to. Um, He'll be looking to to deal with that pretty quickly, and I think if we can keep, it doesn't need to be a really really steep upward curve because we haven't conceded a goal. We've won two, drawn one. We're undefeated. As starts go, it's pretty decent, really, isn't it? And I think it doesn't need to be. We don't need to make huge giant leaps. We just need this slow incremental improvement. And with with the signings coming in, the the squad being a bit more settled, you'd like to think that that we can achieve that. So, I think. I think you're right. I think there's, 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 no one should be turning cartwheels, but I think there could be a sort of slow nodding and and rubbing of the chin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is looking all right. This is looking all right. And if we can, if we can carry that on in this division, we, you know, you mentioned we'll talk, we'll we'll talk about Reading momentarily, but you talk about the teams who will be challenging us. 
there aren't many really who I would say have the quality that we potentially could have, the experience that we could have, um, and potentially the head coach and, and, and what he brings that, that we have. So I think I think it's positive. I am going to play the I am going to play the optimistic card uh, to to everyone's shock and surprise and perhaps horror because um, I'm probably jinxing it. But yeah, I think we just need that incremental improvement week on week. If we can keep making little baby steps, then then I think we're going to be good. Let's see how we can incrementally improve against Reading. To find out more, because Mike did set us some homework, I got in touch with the Tilehurst End podcast and spoke to Simeon, their editor. And I want to find out how Reading fans are feeling after three straight wins at the start of this championship season. So you had three wins in the league. Are you as jubilant and as happy as we expect you to be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're um, not, not used to being up this end of the table at all, really, to be honest. It's been a very kind of depressing couple of years for us. So to be anywhere kind of anywhere near the top six, let alone the top one, is um, or the top two is very special for us what why is that what is the problem with you because you know it wasn't that long ago where you you walked away with the championship and got to the premier league what what sort of change over the last few years to reading just been a ridiculously unstable team to be honest for the last eight years or so we were um always used to be a very well-run stable club kind of up until sir john madeski sold it in 2012 we've since gone through three different sets of owners a couple of different CEOs, more managers than than Watford even, I think, possibly. Just have been so unstable and haven't really been able to build up anything over the course of a couple of years. And it seems to be that we kind of go through a different restructure every summer, a couple of weeks before the start of the season in this case. And it's massively held us back. We haven't been able to properly develop. This does sound like Watford. (laughs) It absolutely does sound (laughs) like Watford. You know, I know you had a very turbulent summer with sacking but maybe not sacking a, a manager what, what actually went down there uh, it was bizarre to be honest we were a couple of weeks out from the start of the season we just had a kind of morale boosting friendly win and then a couple of days later it came out that oh no we were going to have a restructure behind the scenes the CEO was going the manager was going and they wanted to move Mark Bowen back to sporting director where he had been before and in the middle of that we were trying to appoint a new guy Valko Paunovic that no one had heard of, no one knew why exactly he was being linked with us. Eventually got appointed on the Saturday morning. There was still no word over what was happening with Mark Bowen. There wasn't even any reference to, to Mark Bowen in the statement announcing the new manager coming in. A couple of days after that, they said, oh, Mark Bowen has left. He turned down the opportunity to go back to his sporting direct post. And it's just been bizarre, to be quite honest with you. It feels like the owner just randomly decided to change the power structure just a little bit before the season started on a, on a whim, apparently. And is that how you feel about him? He's doing things a bit too on the whim? Does he seem like a, a, a footballing owner? He is a footballing guy. He definitely got the passion for it. He does own a club out in China called Beijing Renhe, and I think his sister owned a club called KSV Rezalar in, in Belgium as well. So they are very much footballing people behind the scenes but they don't have the the patience to build a club up basically in the in the, in the long run um over the course of a couple of years it's very much about spending a lot of money each summer without any real kind of long-term intent behind it we don't build up assets over the course of a couple of years for example it's typically expensive short-term loans we certainly can't doubt his uh, his his passion for the club and his desire to get it into the premier league he's he spent an awful, awful lot of money on on players, on the things like that, and the academy as well, which is very much to his credit. But 
he doesn't have that real kind of just basic common sense, basically, to really kind of make his money go far, to make us actually improve in the long run. Nice guy, but his footballing brain is perhaps not there. Something's got going in the you know the, the wins against Cardiff, win against Barnsley, and a win against Derby. What what do you, what are you, what are you putting that, that that down to? Or as I really mean is, what is it you've got that we need to look out for on Saturday? <laughs> at the minute, it's I guess pure hard work at the minute, which is kind of a, a little bit easy to say at this stage. But in the last couple of years, it's been very much the case that we have good individual players, but they don't work hard enough. They don't work hard enough as a team. Um, and what the new manager seems to have brought in in the last couple of weeks is just that real spirit, that real grit. And the football hasn't necessarily been brilliant in the last couple of weeks, but we have fought for second balls reliably. We're a very energetic, very passionate team at the minute. Although we're not particularly good from open play at the minute, I think we're one of the lowest teams in the division for, for shots per game. We've still got that, that work ethic off the ball and it always gives us a chance. Is that down to the the new manager? Quite a lot to the new manager, who seems to very. He talks a lot about warrior spirit in his post match interviews and stuff like that, and and really kind of instilling that that psychology at the club. But we've also very usefully trimmed down the size of the squad over the course of the summer. It had been a very bloated, very kind of um, I guess directionless squad last summer. There were a lot of players kind of on the fringes that didn't really have much of a chance getting into the team, but. We leaned it up basically over the summer. We really made it a much more focused, much more harmonious group over the summer. And that seems to have made the first team players who are there at the minute that bit more focused, that bit more driven and that bit more willing to do the the extra running. And it's, it's paid off in the first few weeks. So Saturday, are you going into it thinking, yes, if we keep this going, we could get something from Watford? Or are you actually going, actually, we keep this going, we're going to beat Watford? I would have been very confident if we had kept our, our first team players fit. Annoyingly, Lucas Shaw has scored, um, I think, five goals in all competitions so far this season already, which is a terrific start to the season. But he, in characteristic Lucas Shaw fashion, has managed to get injured very early on. I think he um, dislocated his shoulder, although at the minute I'm not sure if that's a long-term injury, but it, it will probably keep him out of, of Saturday. We've managed to run out of right-backs already as well. We've lost... John Swift, our main creative player in the middle, take those injuries out and I would have been really confident. I would have really fancied us to to give you a good game and perhaps to get a win. I know you started the season well and you'll definitely be up there at the, at the end of the season, but I would have fancied us to give you a game. But because of those injuries, I'm kind of a little bit a little bit trepidatious despite our, our good start. It's It feels like the wheels are going to come off at some point because of those injuries. So, Adam, are you you're, you're jubilant, happy, confident? What, how are you feeling going into uh, this this game at Reading? I mean, we know you're hobbling, but how are you feeling in terms of Watford's ability to to win a, a game of football? Especially the fact that they've got a lot of injuries, like yourself. <laughs> yeah, they have. Well, that was that was the interesting thing that came over there that sort of similar to what I was getting at that yeah 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 we've won three games but 
it's sort of it, the the confidence is so thin, and that's sort of based on how Reading have been in recent years. Obviously, the transition of coaches. It's always a little bit slightly chaotic in the background, and we're sort of living that experience at the moment as well as as Watford fans. So, um, I don't think anyone is feeling sort of super confident going into the game. I would say yes, if we see those incremental improvements that Mike's you know been talking about there, then yeah, we can go there and and we can we can win the game. We don't we. we we don't need to be um, frightened of any team in the in the championship. Um, you know, we always felt in the Premier League that we should have been doing far better. And when we went toe to toe with teams, we thought, well, yeah, we can we can compete. It was just that um, things just sort of slid away horribly last season. So I'm feeling I'm feeling excited to see what comes next, really. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, we will sort of be able to head into an international break which will sort of finally confirm um you know how many players are going to be leaving and all that sort of stuff if we can go into that with you know another another victory or remaining unbeaten then you know it'd be it would be a really really good start for Vladimir Ivic and I'll be brutally honest after all the international breaks last season I I always sort of went into them with trepidation because I thought they're not international breaks. They are they're Pozzo sacking zones, and um, that was my, that was my sort of my fear. Hang on a minute. All oh, right, he's, he's lasted until the international break. Did they did he win going into the inter- international break? That should see him through to at least out of that international break. Um, but we obviously lost Javi. I think Kike won the last game before one against Norwich, so he survived. And then, you know, I'm being a bit silly, but yeah, I think, you know, Vladimir Ivic is, is, has shown enough to, um, to last this international break. And uh, yeah, I think hopefully, hopefully we, we are moving in, in the right direction, but I, I'm not being sort of a doom monger by being protective against overconfidence. I think we have to just sort of take it steadily because, you know, who, who knows what's around the corner for, for all sorts of different reasons. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get carried away. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I really don't want to be doom, doomy, but I, I don't want to get carried away yet. Let's do some. Let's finish off the podcast. Thank you, everyone who, who got in touch with questions again. Uh, let's do some quick fire questions. Adam, Jamie asks, have the views on the kit changed or mellowed? He's becoming an increasing fan. No, I really like the kit. I, I've got no arguments with the kit. I don't think anyone needs to have any problem with it. And at the end of the day, look, if we go up and it's a successful season, everyone loves the kit, even if it had sick on it. So, you know, who cares? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, all about, it's all about what happens for the team. You know, they could be running around in skins. It doesn't really matter just as long as they're winning. Uh, David Levy, friend of the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Uh, he asks, is Reading v Watford the most championship feeling fixture of this season to date? No, it can't be, Dave, because the first one of the season, against Middlesbrough yes it was Middlesbrough but it had Colin in it or as we know Neil Warnock so that's the most championshipy fixture you can can ever have Mike we've got some um, some slightly off kilter questions uh, Chris Bone he's asked how long can I get away without painting the ceiling in my extension how long do you reckon uh, for as long it depends how often you lie down so if you spend a lot of time lying on lying on a sofa and they're looking upwards, it'll probably annoy you quite quickly. But probably more uh, more pressing for you, Chris, is uh, whether your your wife, your partner, whoever you live with, how long you can put it off from them. So how many how many excuses can you come up with not to do it? I think is probably the uh, the answer there. Yeah, or how long can uh, she stay away from the divorce lawyer? Uh, Adam Nick Cheney has asked, "What's the biggest animal a squad member could throw over a crossbar?" I asked him which one. He then said. Ben Foster, how what could he throw over a crossbar? 
a goat. Easy, yeah, I reckon that's a good. Do you size. think? Not a pig. I thought pig for a while, but I thought no, there's no way. No, pigs, do are too, pig. pigs are too heavy. Way pigs too are heavy. too heavy, and they're too clever, aren't they? They yeah. wouldn't get into that situation. Uh, uh, Peter Remnant uh, has asked, "Spill the beans. Who in the FDR team annoys you the most?" The answer to everybody else is me because I'm the nagger. Uh, where are you? What, you? what should we do? That's that's my role. So I'm happy to be the most annoying one uh, of the whole group. I do would say sometimes Geordie does put ridiculously hard questions though on our WhatsApp group. And I do feel quite annoyed at those because I can't answer them. Uh, Chris uh, SO302 uh, asked Mike, which other stomachs do you admire from Watford players because of course you did have that revelation on the weekend about how much you admired uh, uh jerry delafayus yeah well yeah i'd forgotten about that as well until i saw it sort of pulled out as one of the bullet points on the athletics uh, tweet about it so that was uh, a bit red-faced at that but yeah i think there is another one um he's caught the eye uh, and it's jeremy Ngakia because he's absolutely brilliant <laughs> oh god hey it's getting in the pocket, isn't it boom <laughs> Thank you very much for your questions, uh, and uh, we do keep sending them in. Uh, we'll, we've got lots of podcasts to come this season to, to try and answer. There are a lot of football to talk about because we've been playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, uh, very, very soon. Uh, so do, though, keep sending them in, and we'll try and gather them uh, and ask and answer as many as we can, as best we can. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm sorry for being annoying because it's me, really, that's the most annoying. Everybody knows that. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much, Adam. I would also say that I'm pretty annoying as well because uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that this t- does take quite a lot of editing, this podcast, and it's because I go <laughs> rambling off talking about nonsense half the time. So uh, <laughs> praise to John. Um, he's not very good at pronunciations, but he's very good at editing. So uh, thank you. Yeah, I can change my answer. You are the most annoying, actually, Adia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thank you. If you do want to read the articles we've talked about uh, on The Athletic, you can have the amazing deal of just £1 per month. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. That's only £1 per month for at least six months when I looked earlier on. Uh, And that offer is open to you as a listener to From the Rookery End. Uh, We're back on Saturday to talk about that game at Reading. Come on, you all! 